1: Welcome to the Dunked On NBA podcast. I am Danny LaRue, your host. Nate will be along shortly to do a segment that we've been asked to do before, and I'm happy we waited a little bit, which is redrafting the 2017 NBA draft that is Tatum and Mitchell and so many other guys, and we go through our players. That is the brunt of this podcast, but in order to keep it topical, wanted to do some news at the outset to kind of bridge the gap from the last time we recorded Dunked On about five days ago to now. Unfortunately, that is mostly injuries because that's the stuff that's pertinent to talk about and and we'll, you know, get into games and everything like that as soon as Nate is back from his travels. But there is a lot of news to get to. And the most important one to me is the unfortunate reporting out on Monday that De'Aaron Fox is going to miss the next... Three to four weeks plus with what is being described as a grade three left ankle sprain for those who are unfamiliar with the grading here. That is the same grade that Lonzo Ball had for the sprained ankle he got in January where he missed the remainder of the season. That was an aberration. It, I'm guessing it ends up being more than the three to four weeks. The quick upshot for me is that barring something truly shocking, I do not expect the Sacramento Kings to make the playoffs. I do not expect them to go over 500. That sucks. That sucks. And, I mean, if Corey Joseph can step up, if if some of the other guys can, that would be great. But they just don't have the, the horses. And, I mean, De'Aaron Fox was integral to their transition identity last year. So it will be hard for them to make do without him. It is a, I mean, I guess a slightly rosier picture. In Boston, the Celtics have been just the league's best team so far this year in terms of net rating. And... Gordon Hayward is now going to be out for at least six weeks. He had surgery on Monday to repair a fracture in his fourth metacarpal in his left hand, and six-week timetable seems about right there. It's on the high end from what I heard of the original estimates, which makes it maybe more likely that he can come back around that time frame. The good news for the Celtics is they're deep enough that at least in the starting lineup they can handle this. They got a, a nice win over Dallas on Monday without Hayward. But, you know, this the same thing that I talk about all the time with injuries is that it makes any subsequent issues that come up even more damaging. So we'll see if Boston, they have the wing depth, I think, to handle this one. But if anything else happens, that will be a big problem. On the positive front, Blake Griffin made his season debut for the Pistons against the Wolves. They ended up losing the game, but good to see Blake out on the floor and the Pistons need his help in the worst way. The Warriors got Draymond Green back on Monday, though we got tossed from the game, arguing a call. And D'Angelo Russell came back with a 50-plus point performance against Minnesota. On Friday, and he's looking fully recovered from from his issues. The strangest story since the last time Nate and I recorded is the the De- Dion De- Waiters saga in Miami. It was very confusing at first when all this stuff came out at night, and basically, it seems like the way to distill it is that Waiters suffered a panic attack on the Miami Heat charter plane because he, he, he or after consuming a THC infused edible. He hadn't played in the game. he received medical treatment when the plane landed. Um, and the team suspended him for by 10 for 10 games for contract conduct detrimental to the team. He will lose about eight hundred and thirty thousand of his base salary due to that suspension. and also that means that waiters will not, which was probably already exceedingly unlikely, he will not receive a 1.2 million dollar contract bonus because of the games that he will miss. As a part of the suspension, Waiters had not been a part of really what Miami has done so far this year for a couple of reasons, and this is another significant setback to it. It would be very difficult for Miami to trade Waiters at the moment due to his extended contract and these sorts of circumstances give front offices pause, obviously, as they should. And so maybe they can rehab his value between when he returns and the trade deadline. I would say it's more likely that if they need to clear the space, they do so in july probably june july something in that frame but remember there's not as much cap space around the league and if Wager's value is still at a low point that could be a problem the other significant to me the other like big element to talk about is chris middleton middleton will miss three to four weeks with a left thigh contusion the Bucks are not in, you know, significant trouble for the regular season. They're still a really good team, but they are a little bit shallower and this puts more strain on not necessarily people like Wes Matthews, but really everybody beyond him in the rotation, guys like Cal Corver. And I hope and expect that this will not affect Chris Middleton in the games that really count for the Milwaukee Bucks, but it makes it harder for them to firm up the number one seed, potentially even hold the number one seed at all, and if it lingers at all, then that becomes a far, far bigger problem. Ben Simmons is currently missing time due to a grade one AC joint sprain in his shoulder, which was suffered on Wednesday night when the Sixers lost to the Jazz. He was originally projected to miss the first three games. I haven't really heard an update since then, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. Toronto is similarly missing Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka right now. Lowry suffered a small fracture on his left thumb and will be reevaluated in two weeks after the injury. We've already had some time pass since then. And Ibaka is dealing with a, quote, pretty bad ankle sprain, according to Nick Nurse. And he has not played in, on the LA games of their trip. They beat the Lakers in a really fun one, and then they lost to the Clippers on Monday night. Also, Patrick McCaw will be reevaluated in a month. He had a benign mass on the back of his left knee removed. So another a player who could potentially have benefited from Lowry missing some time will not benefit because he is also out. There was some drama with the Knicks. It would be the type of thing that uh, Nate now would probably make a little bit more fun of. You can read my Twitter feed talking about why it frustrated me. But basically, the reporting from Woj and Malika Andrews of ESPN is that Steve Mills and Scott Perry have publicly said that they're not they're not happy with where the team is. The Knicks are now eight are now two and eight. They've lost eight of their ten. Um, but the subsequent reporting from the two aforementioned ESPN colleagues is that. Mills is, in the phrase they used, has started to lay the internal groundwork for the eventual dismissal of David Fisdale. Basically, the front office types are trying to make it Fisdale's fault that the Knicks aren't good. That is complete crap. While it is possible that Fisdale is not a good coach, he was given... just an impossible roster this year with a lot of players who overlapped and the sum was far weaker than the collection of their parts. And nobody, I I don't think really anybody, I mean, maybe somebody like Pop could have maybe put something together with this team. But defensively, huge problems. And I mean, so I went on a little bit of a Twitter rant about how not only is this like that a a really a, a tough sales job to actually work, it will be damning of James Dolan if he actually believes it because it's completely not true. But also, it was a reminder that yes, it made you know it was justified for the Knicks to go after KD, Kyrie, go after the big fish. But that once that didn't happen, the Knicks did not pivot. They did not go after using. The cap space that they had to build an asset base, looking at like the Iguadala and the Harkless trades in particular, both of which were players that would have been a better fit for RJ Barrett and these Knicks than the guys that they paid and were on expiring contracts and those teams got first round picks, all that kind of stuff. So it is not my job to determine in the way that matters to the Knicks whether the argument that Mills and Perry are apparently making is valid, but I will tell you that it is not. And hopefully for the franchise, they do not see it that way. Also, Chris Mannix reporting that if the Knicks move on from Fizdale, they could look at Keith Smart and Caleb Canales, who are in-house, or friend of the show and former coach that I covered, Mark Jackson, who is a favorite of Scott Perry's, and that all makes sense to me. Also, Mitchell Robinson is going to miss a couple games due to a concussion couple point guard things to catch up on before I let you all go into the rest of the show. Jeff Teague, it looked like he was going to come back on Monday after missing three straight games. He did not play in their win over the Pistons. And then Lonzo Ball is still out due to a right adductor strain, and I do not have a timeline for him, so hopefully he comes back soon. Actually, one more piece. I missed this. Uh, Otto Porter, he is dealing with a sprained left foot. There is no timetable, and the quote is from Boylan, it's a soft tissue injury injury, so it's something that's difficult to put a timetable on, they're not exactly sure. So that that makes sense. And Porter, even though he has been disappointing this year, still an important part of any success, really, that the Bulls are going to have. So we'll see where it goes from there. One other plug before we get to the podcast, my Real Gym Radio episode with Matt Moore, where we go through all of the tiers of the NBA. A lot of fun. First one of those came out on Monday afternoon, so you can listen to that in the podcast, wherever You're Choosing. And I wrote a piece on the Warriors for The Athletic. And also my massive 30-piece series where I basically go team by team, setting up both the season itself and the off-season to come, the 2020, including cap space estimates for all 30 teams. That series will start on Tuesday with the Pacific Division. The current projected timeline is that there will be three divisions this week, three divisions next week. So you're going to get a lot of content from me. I've been working on this for a month. Uh, You're going to get a lot of that really soon. So you're getting a little bit less dunked on, but you're getting plenty of me. So hopefully that can satiate your 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 need for basketball content there's also of course so much great stuff out there as well so on to the conversation that nate and i had which was a lot of fun to put together
0: college basketball is back and all roads lead to the final four and the ncaa championship in atlanta in march follow the conference and tournament play with march madness 365 the college hoops podcast that covers the game all year long join ncaa.com correspondent andy katz each week as he speaks with some of the biggest names in college basketball From the Power 5 conferences to the smaller schools, creating waves in the game. Andy talks to the coaches and players making headlines, as well as the reporters on the ground with your favorite teams to offer the kind of in-depth analysis, insight, and coverage you can only get with March Madness access. We don't do a lot on actual college basketball for this show, so this is a great way to fill that void if you are a a college basketball fan. Get top performances, highlights, recaps, exclusive interviews, and Cats Ranks, Andy's weekly Power 36, and of course, his bracket picks come tournament time. Get in the game with the March Madness 365 College Hoops podcast. Subscribe and listen. New episodes drop every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. So the last time we actually did this was back in March of 2017 for the 2016 draft. That was definitely a little earlier than it might make sense to do. Even now, you'll see we come into some uncertainty about these players. You know, where would Pascal Siakam go in a 2016 redraft now as opposed to doing it at this time last year? And we also have a little bit of complication because... We're relatively early on in the season here, so hard to know how many of these players have reached a new level of performance or indications of that, but a lot of that could be a fair amount of noise as well. Well, so, and, and
1: something I thought yeah. briefly was interesting about this is doing the 2017 redrafted around the time that these players have been eligible for extensions, because to an extent, that's sort of what they're doing, too. You know, like some of these teams are figuring out, well, how valuable is this player relative to the other players in the, in, in their class? So, or sorry, I'm a year ahead of myself. Sorry. Yeah,
0: well, I, I mean, I, I do think it matters because those are the teams that are going to have to be making those decisions. decisions. Yeah. yeah, and also we just saw the rookie fourth-year rookie option decisions get made on a lot of these players, and that even just uh, teams don't do a 100% good job of evaluating their own players, but for certain guys like Harry Giles, for example, that's very clarifying to me that the Kings did not pick up his fourth-year option. You know, they're, right. they're definitely, and that's the one, as you noted last week, where the fourth year option amount really goes up compared to the third year and so that's where the rubber meets the road about teams saying all right this guy really isn't working out he's not worth the money that we have assigned to him so you guys know the way we like to do this we usually go through tiers but we're gonna rank guys within those tiers uh, and then we'll do some categories at the end like biggest risers and fallers who we think the jury is still out on uh, who there's still hope for, even if they've been bad uh, and who we are most wrong and right about you and I, I mean, uh, I- I don't want to speak for you, but I think you and I have both really sucked <laughs> with this draft uh, in our pre-draft evaluations.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's true. It's it's also true that some of the players we saw a little bit of and liked ended up turning out. So I feel a little bit better in that respect. Yeah. But in terms of the, the high end, I mean, yeah. So the, well, yeah, let's just, I'll just run through it briefly. The the top players in this draft, so the top 10.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this is as it, as it was.
1: As it was. Yeah. Fultz, Ball, Tatum, Josh Jackson, Fox isaac markinen frank dennis smith zach collins
0: that's uh frank nilkina not frank mason just just yes. to be clear uh and then uh i mean we should probably go through the rest of the lottery there's a couple of important guys there malik monk number 11 to charlotte luke Kennard, number 12 to detroit donovan mitchell 13 to utah he was traded from denver and bam out number 14 to miami so I, I think the the one thing that we can look back on and say we did a pretty good job of was the guys that we hated turned out to be pretty bad uh but the guys that we really liked did not turn out to be that good. So obviously everyone knows the Markel Fultz crazy star i'm interested to see where you're gonna have him but uh guessing it's not at number one who in fact do you have as the number one should have been the number one pick in this draft
1: well i want to walk people just briefly through i actually for this exercise do my tiers irrespective of that or the initial stuff irrespective of that specific draft class so the way that i have it is likely stars possible stars starters possible starters but at least rotation players so like guys you should definitely be in the league likely rotation players and then i have a fifth group this time which i I'll probably do moving forward of reasonably possible rotation players. So it's like you know, yeah. still worth a roster spot, but not you know like not as confident before. So just to lay that out, and then my tier one of likely stars, I actually have no one. I, I think that there are some guys. No, one. And no wow, one. No one. No say,
0: Donovan Mitchell because he's he's my number one in his own tier by himself.
1: Yeah, so he is my number one as well, but I do not have him in his own tier just yet. You've been so, more, so you
0: don't think uh, when you say likely star, you're talking about like an all star level player, like top twenty five in the NBA.
1: For me, for me, I'm thinking. I'll all-NBA so that's a little bit of a higher standard but that's like top 15 if you were to distribute it equally um and yeah so the player the players who can be like to me in this sense i'm going to use it more as like the best or a really strong number two on a championship team and mitchell could get there like you know and remember this isn't just how they are right now this is if you could have the opportunity you get the rest of their future too and so i think it's he he was on the borderline for me both of being in his own tier and for moving into this likely star category i like him the best of this group but i'm interested in for you how you did divide them because you chose to and i did not
0: wait so what are you saying so did what
1: what 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 made you decide to put mitchell in a different tier than should we name names here for me the next tier is D, but they're all in the same tier for me as fox and tatum
0: yeah those were my tier two guys by themselves um i think he's just uh, part of it is he's looked really good so far this year now full disclosure we are recording this a few days ahead of time here so forgive me if he shoots one for 20 in the next three games but I think he looks like he's potentially taking a step forward so far again that's very early but his free throw rate is way up I think that's something that you can really believe in a fair amount he's not going to keep shooting this well from the mid-range but the three-pointer has been going down again you know that's subject to some variance to be sure but I think part of why I'm more of a believer right now is they've finally put more shooting and talent around him, and the idea was, hey, this guy has to take every hard shot on this team, and that's why his efficiency is not that good. And now that he has more talent around him, his efficiency has been pretty good. So uh, twenty-eight PR, six eleven true shooting uh, as of this recording. So that's why I, I think I have him a little bit higher than Fox and Tatum. I I'm not like totally wedded to that, but I think he's just shown the most absolute high-end star potential uh whereas those guys i think can be nice pieces but i'm uh i'm skeptical that either of those guys are going to be second best player in a championship team where i think it could get there uh for donovan mitchell but i do agree with you that i I don't see a future dead bang superstar top 10 in in the league type of guy in this whole class as of now which considering how strong we thought it was at the beginning is a massive disappointment
1: it is and part of the reason that i had mitchell over the other two guys is his ability to function as an on-ball player and as an off-ball player and I, i really like that in a guard especially somebody who has combo guard size because then you can put a lot of different pieces around him. we're seeing that with conley already and even though conley has struggled to start the season i think it is already you're already seeing the dividends also playing smaller players as you said on the on the perimeter at the forward spots is is helping too and that gets into the the challenge that I had with De'Aaron Fox which is he was such a huge identity changer for the Sacramento Kings last year and there's immense value to that you know the idea that he was in many cases a one or a two-man fast break with Kali Stein and depending on how he was going and everything else but something that was true last year and is still true this year is that he's not yet the centerpiece of a reliable half-court offense and some of that is surrounding talent some of that is point guards take a while i mean you could think about mike Connolly at this point in his career was not was not near where he was in his prime or any even close to his prime and remember the extension that was pilloried when it was signed so fox absolutely can get there and what he does now is very valuable. But what separated Mitchell was the idea that even if he can't be that guy, there's still a lot of value that he can bring to the table. And I don't, I don't quite see that with Fox yet because he's yeah. just not. He's as- so
0: dependent on transition too. Exactly, it seems
1: like. exactly. And so, so for me, something I look at in terms of, and this is something that's changed over the last couple of years in terms of draft prospects is well, what if? What if certain things is all they are? Like, is that enough to sustain a team? And Fox, as the primary ball handler, you're asking a lot of him, and and it's incredibly valuable if you can check all those boxes, you know, if you can be Steph Curry or Damian Lillard or somebody else, but if you're not quite there, well, then your team is either going to be less dynamic offensively, or they're going to need something important from someone else who, in this case, is not point guard-sized. And that gets a lot harder. Those players exist, but they are hard to identify and everything else. And so that was that was why I had Mitchell over Fox. And then Fox, Tatum was also hard. Tatum has the positional value argument because there just aren't that many forward-sized guys. And I can see with Tatum that modest improvements in skill and getting better with his body and all that could reap some real dividends because he could kind of get to his spots more reliably and it would be a less contested attempt things like that maybe get to the basket more please get to the basket more and we're seeing some of that development with him this year and it's sometimes easy to forget that in their early 20s that players are still you know five or so years away from their prime and i think prime jason tatum is still a an absolutely fascinating player
0: i actually in thinking about it more i moved him down into my tier three i think i'm putting fox in tier two by himself i still think uh, from an athletics standpoint he's one of the most athletic point guards in the league he can pass it pretty well he's a good kid he's going to keep working the jump shot you know i kind of see him not necessarily john wall type of jump shot i mean he's better than that but i don't see him being like a huge plus you know i think he's gonna shoot kind of 35 percent on threes for his career and be able to make some mid-rangers but not be unbelievable on those Uh, and his passing i think is good not great necessarily at, at this point so i don't see the ceiling as much with him i'm moving tatum down because now in year three he's bumped up the usage but he just hasn't shown the ability to create efficient shots inside the arc. His three-point shooting, he's taking more threes, shooting it really well so far from three. I am starting to be a believer. I didn't think that in the draft uh, that he his shooting would translate to the NBA line. He reworked his shot a little bit. He worked really hard on that. I, I'm a believer now that he can hit three-pointers. But other than creating mid-rangers, he hasn't been that good. Remember last year, he was like maybe the worst ISO player in the NBA. And this year, he's getting to the basket even less he's finishing worse and more importantly he's getting the foul line even less so and he's not hasn't shown that he's some like 45 percent shooter from mid-range and yeah i think things have been a little weird in boston it's a very egalitarian system but it's not like he's not getting enough shots anymore. You know, he's getting shots and just has not been able to be a huge driver of vision offense. His passing is, you know, at best, OK. And he just doesn't get downhill at a way that's going to force a lot of help and open up those passing windows. So I'm, I'm I certainly have hope for him. Everyone else seems to think he's way better than I do. So that's always a concern for me. You know, I do kind of price in others' opinions other than my own a little bit on some of these. I did that to my detriment with Lonzo Ball, uh, as we'll, we'll talk about later. But yeah, I just, uh, I've just i been waiting for it for too long with him. He showed so much promise right away, but he really hasn't evolved a ton beyond there. And I think some of these other players may start passing him by. He maybe has more upside than the other guys I have in this group, but uh, it's just... And I'm also not a huge believer in his defense. Though. I think his defense is pretty average as well, especially individually. He's just not tough enough, so... He, can he get better? Yes. Could I be wrong? Yes. But I, I can't. I, the more I think about it, I, he's just—he's just not there with me, uh, with De'Aaron Fox, and certainly below Donovan Mitchell.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting considering you and I are both lower on Tatum, and I've been—I think—more overtly critical. And and with Tatum now, I think—and this was a big criticism of mine in his rookie year was that I could—it seemed unrealistic, and a lot of that did bear out that you know, like the insane shooting that he had, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, but, he's
0: back to doing that again from three, but yeah, obviously
1: it's early. Small sample size. And I think that Tatum's defense, he can be a nice cog in a successful machine, but I don't think he can be, like, the lead defender in that sort of circumstance, and that's, you know, maybe too much to ask of a forward, but in the conversation of, and this was my original criticism of Jason Tatum, in the context of a... High-end team, let's say conference finals or beyond. He's not your best offensive player, and he's not your best defensive player. And he can be very close on both of those, I think. And and I think he has room to grow on both, depending on how things work.
0: Yeah, I, I don't, I don't see it at all defensively. But, uh,
1: but again, I think I'm, he can be the second or people. third best. You know, like that's that you can not every team has to be the Raptors or those Pistons or some of the, you know, yeah. there, there, there are various levels of d- defensive quality that have been championship caliber. I mean, the Cavs, for example, are, are a pretty good one there. So yeah, I, I have him here. And part of the other reason why I have Tatum here is, and I noticed this when I was doing my rankings, is that my next tier down, which is guys, starters. And what I mean by that is basically more likely than not, I think they're going to be starting caliber. They don't have to be there now, but they're, and when I looked at those players and then I looked at Tatum, he felt to me more in line with the other group so maybe you could do something where he's above those guys and also below Fox I think that's fair but I just didn't feel super comfortable that seemed to me that felt like splitting hairs to an extent that I wasn't super comfortable with and also I mean there is the value of the position amazingly enough depending on how we see John Isaac, none of the other guys are really wings. There are guys that are like like kind of power forward slash centers, but there aren't really any three slash fours. And it was served as a reminder to me that there aren't that many of those guys. So even if maybe he's a little bit worse, there is value to being that type of player at his level of quality just due to the extreme scarcity everywhere else.
0: This next segment is really difficult, and you can make arguments that any of these players can emerge. Well, in John Collins' case, after he finishes a 25-game suspension. But John Isaac, if you believe, uh, you know, John Hollinger and I were talking about him last week. Uh, and he believes he could be one of these make a good defense by yourself type of guys He struggled offensively He struggled to shoot the ball uh but you know if he is one of those players then maybe he is number three here uh bam out plays bio center as you noted but so much defensive versatility and his emerging passing on offense finishing around the rim like he, he's got a it's going to be tough for him to be a big star. But, yeah, I mean, he I could see him maybe getting into the Defensive Player of the Year conversation at some point.
1: Well, uh, and, and one of the other arguments in favor of Bam is I think he's the most likely unambiguous starter outside of the top three. You know, like, basically, you just set him and forget him in your center spot. It would be—to me, it would be surprising if he's healthy if he's not, like, a top 20 to 25 center in the league. Like, he, he can do oh, that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I he already he is a, that. Yeah, I think he can be a lot better than that. But, you know, being a star, a set and forget it starter— for like John Isaac, I like, I, I love John Isaac. I've loved him for a long time. But if the offensive game never turns around, you know, so there could be certain limitations unless he becomes that guy that you and John talked about. And it's sort of a similar story with John Collins and some of these other players. And that's why I actually had Bam at the top of this tier. Because yeah, of that.
0: I, I, I think that's totally defensible. Because
1: of that, that certainty. And yeah. also, I think a lot of times certainty can be conflated with consistency or like maybe like a low ceiling. I disagree with that with Bam. I think that he has a lot a lot more that he can do offensively. He makes good decisions with the ball in his hands. I don't know about the jump shot necessarily, but I like him, like for example, if we want to compare him to Clint Capella offensively, I think that Bam, he, he can be less dependent than Capella. And I think that, let's say for example, a team doubles on the pick and roll, I think that he can... Can make better decisions out of the short roll you know like that sort of circumstance and depending on what like you can because you can't just think of bam on the heat it's where this player could be in different circumstances i think that some of his strengths could be incredibly useful in other circumstances and potentially in miami depending on how things go with jimmy but i really like that with bam that and i think he can defend in a lot of different systems and even though centers are higher in supply there aren't that many bam out of bios
0: so others that I considered in there, and I agree with most of what you said there with Bam, uh, Larry Markkanen, not off to the greatest start again, but if the shooting ability comes around, then there's always that chance that he could be just that ridiculous offensive player where you got to stick to him and pick and roll. It opens everything up. Uh, Collins, we mentioned him. You know, I think he's not... On the track to being this uh, Amari Sotomayor type player, also has had some injuries, and obviously the suspension worries you, but maybe he could still be this uh, unbelievable offensive player. Isaac, we talked about. And then I had these three guys in another tier below. Those We're getting down into the 8 through 10 range now, but I could easily see any of these guys breaking in. OG Ananobi, I don't think he's quite the destructive force as a help guy compared to Jonathan Isaac, but maybe he could be a better on-ball guy, more versatility. He's got more quickness maybe more athleticism Kyle Kuzma older all he does is score but he's had some pretty big scoring games maybe he turns that into just being really efficient I think he's going to shoot the ball better than he did last year at least we'll see how his defense comes around now that they have some other good defensive players around him And then Derek White had some massive games in the playoffs last year. His three-pointer looked better this year. One of the best defensive guards in the NBA. Guard defense may be a little underrated at this point in time. So I don't necessarily see this enough star potential. And an O.B. because of his offensive limitations, even though he's looked a little better this year white also some offensive limitations and kuzma because he doesn't do anything other than score but if those guys can round out their games just a little bit you could throw them in uh, to that tier uh, above um what do you think of that and are there other players that you would bring in here um uh, or maybe you might even disagree with the and collins uh being as high
1: yeah i'll start with the the players that i have lower that that is Markinen and kuzma Markinen it to me, at this point, and remember, we didn't watch a ton of film on him because it wasn't as readily available, and I don't think he was on our scout. We well, this was also a weird year where we didn't do as much, if memory serves, because of the timing of everything. And no, I mean we did like the top ten, like we yeah, usually do. But I don't, rem- I, I don't remember marking in, like his film that much.
0: Oh and, yeah, no, I, we we did a breakdown on
1: him. Okay, I just yeah. just off the top, but what, I liked what, him actually. But where more, I'm getting more at with this people. is for where I'm having trouble connecting with the th- the confidence that. His offensive game is going to all the way come around like the theory is there unquestionably you know if if the jump shots comes around he's looking more confident with the ball in his hands all of that like the puzzle pieces exist however i'm becoming less confident over time that it's going to all come together and then i've also become less enthralled with his defensive potential and yeah absolutely has the talent i mean he has the talent to be at the top of tier three What is my tier three, functionally tier two, because nobody's in tier one. And so I see it, but I especially considering he's to me a straight four, at least at this point, he'd have to get a lot stronger to be a five in anything other than like backup niche circumstances. Yeah, well, and he can't block any shots. And he can't block any shots. So that becomes a less compelling thing. And and largely the story is similar with Kuzma. There are parts of his game that I really like. I mean, he has more skill. Kind of I I love his footwork, all those but but he just he doesn't bring enough other things to the table, and so he's not a great enough, dynamic enough score for me to really give him the, give him the reins on a, in a starting lineup and, and go that way. And then he's, taking a lot off the table otherwise so those players can be useful in the right team and a lot like marketing could absolutely be a starter i mean he could be starter in any circumstance if things go well but in even in those negative ones so those are the two guys that i did not have in that tier i'll go through mine in order incidentally the last two guys i have in my starter group are not players that you mentioned so we can talk about them after so my order not that the order matters as much as the tiers bam og and an over isaac Derek White. So OG Ananobi over Isaac? Okay. Yeah, I I think that OG, we saw it a little bit in the playoffs a couple years ago before he dealt with the apodectomy and everything else. His strength, is a great attribute, and I I'm not completely sure that Isaac has the ability to be that lockdown five. I think he's going to be an awesome defender, but it's easier for me to put a guy in a box defensively and say, okay, this is you could just throw OG on a guy and he'll do a good job. Like, and those stronger forwards are a pain in the ass for so many guys in the league. Isaac, he could be potentially two or three different things, but until I'm sure that he's one of them, it's just a little bit lower on the list for me because there's a the possibility that he's none. And I, I love Isaac. Also, I like OG's offensive game better than Isaac's. I've, I've said before that Isaac's jump shot, it just never looks like it's going into me. It does go in sometimes, but it just never looks that way. I, oh,
0: I, I think I like Isaac's interesting. Uh, offense a little bit. I, I think he's got some ability to post up a, an well, and you a do, You bit. have.
1: You also have the argument that if Isaac can be a five, his offensive game matters less. Because that's just the way the game works. It's a lot easier to find a small four, to find a shooting four than a shooting five.
0: Yeah, and I also think, uh, I mean, they both have had some health concerns, but I don't think he he has quite as many as OG uh, with the torn ACL in the past, and i think isaac i like his help instincts a lot better i think he just overall sure. for all his better feel i think he can pass the ball a lot better and i think he, you know he's just more i know his jump shot definitely has not looked great so far uh and certainly toronto exposed that in the playoffs last year but i do think he's still more of a natural shooter uh than og is you know and i think if i had to bet on one one of their two shooting coming around i probably would go with isaac even though again og has looked pretty good so far this year um and, and, all right but you're you're gonna say some other guys here. yeah
1: so then after isaac i have Derek white white i love his defense and then offensively sort of in a way like donovan mitchell i think he can provide value as an on-ball creator but then also play off ball and his jump shot's getting better so i i like him you know probably going to be your second best offensive guard but he's really good defensively so i think you can make that work with a lot of different players collins was a really tough call for me like there are reasons to believe that markanin and kuzma you know those guys are all offense first players that any one of them could end up being the best, but I like first of all I like Collins' defensive tools better. And he's shown a little bit of that this year before the suspension, and I just I, I think he has a more versatile kind of like I just I I, I see more paths also for him to be a center like that if he fills out a little bit all those sorts of things. So he gets a little even though centers are quote unquote less valuable. Just the idea that he could succeed at a different spot, and he's getting more comfortable with the jumper and all that. So John Collins makes it on there. Then the last two for me who make it in this group more just because i think they uh, well in one case it's a higher floor and that's jared allen it 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 is true that this for me the starter threshold is a little different at center but i would you know i expect that he will be a starting center and then the last one which is the definitely the most divisive for me is lonzo ball i just think with his defense and the quick decisions that he makes you know that that there's a, a quality player in there and you get into the problem of well what do you pair with him possibly but if the jump shot comes around a little bit and everything else so i'm i'm still this came up with the ben taylor podcast they did i'm still lonzo optimist for this year at least but i think it's more likely for me that he's a starter than not so he's the last guy in this tier
0: yeah it's just so hard to fit around him because he just can't really run pick and roll or do anything from two and the jumper looks a little bit better this year but i mean that's really in the half court that's kind of yeah the quick decisions help but that's all he's doing from a scoring standpoint i'm definitely of two minds about him he's younger than Derek White obviously White to me is more of an on-ball player I like White's defense better than Lonzo's Lonzo might be better as a help guy White's better on ball Uh, Lonzo's obviously a better passer he does really help push the pace a lot Uh, Lonzo's health is certainly a concern. So I had him a little bit lower, but you might say he has more upside than white. I don't know. We're getting to the point now where it's like, okay, do you go for your solid starter, Jared Allen, or do you go for someone that I had in a similar tier there as we're kind of getting into the 11 through 17 range for me now? Or would you rather have Jared Allen, who's already playing at a starting level, but it is what he is? Or would you rather have Markel Fultz or even Dennis Smith Jr., who I'm not giving up on him quite yet. It's uh. I realized that uh, had him way too high to to begin with, but obviously he's had a very rough go of it and has missed a bunch of time this year with injuries and uh, the tragic death of his stepmother. And it doesn't look like the Knicks are particularly building around him, which is never a good sign. So, you know, it, it could be he just goes into Emmanuel Moutier type of purgatory and you know, never even really ends up being a starter. But he still has so many tools. Um, and, and Fult, same thing, although, you know, there's still, I, I think he's got such a ceiling now because of the jump shot, or, or such a low ceiling, I should say, because of the jump shot, which is crazy to say about him because I thought he was so high ceiling. But yeah, making that decision is difficult. So we'll talk a little bit more about those guys in a second here. Here with the holidays approaching. Yes, it is that time. You may may have to think about how you're gonna save some extra money. If you've got high interest credit card balances, you should consider consolidating that debt to a lower rate and saving with Lightstream. You can get a rate as low as five point nine five percent APR with auto pay. The national average interest rate of over 20% APR for credit cards is uh yeah, a little higher than that. Plus, your rate will be fixed, so if rates rise, your low rate will not change. There are no fees, and you can even get your money as soon as the day that you apply. My listeners can get a special interest rate discount at lightstream.com slash Capspace, which is the only way to get this. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M, lightstream.com slash Capspace, E0 slash Capspace, we talk about all the time on the program here. This is subject to credit approval. Rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Capspace for more information. And don't forget that slash Capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. So uh, let's talk about Smith Jr. and Fultz here, because I, I think, and maybe you could put Lonzo in that category a little bit, but I think it, it, he's just not going to be that dynamic with the ball in the half court to where he you can see him as a, the lead guard on a really good offense without someone another creator next to him but smith and faults how are you feeling about them at this point in time relative to some of these guys you know you throw josh hart or luke Kennard in that category too of guys who have showed more perhaps than they are but are a little older and, and don't necessarily have the upside
1: fultz to me is starting to establish his value even as a non-shooter he can defend he has positional size he can be dynamic in transition and you know sort of in a way like Derek white I think that you can – especially if we're – I'm thinking of Fultis' more likely outcome right now is – being a second-unit guy than being a starter on a good team. And second-units, you can structure that in a bunch of different ways. I mean, look at what Rick Carlisle's done with the Mavericks. I mean, what if Markel Fultz ends up being, like, a different kind of iteration of what DeLon Wright is, is going to be for them yeah. this year? Yeah, that's a, that's a good
0: comparison, I think, right now.
1: Yeah, and so and Fultz has the upside. Maybe he figures some of the stuff out, and he, he gets to be better than that. Lonzo, to me, is more established on the trail. I also think that Lonzo's jumper is more fixable than Fultz's, at least right now. It's so weird because it's, in many ways, abstract. Just like the problems that those guys have with their shots. Everyone
0: thought that these guys were both going to be like awesome shooters. Oh, man. It's
1: amazing. amazing. And then with Dennis Smith, it's a couple of different things. So one, positional size is – I mean positional athleticism is insane for him. But size is a concern because – it it allows players to kind of paper over some of those deficiencies like smith's defense is just not going to be at those guys level pretty much ever and if smith then also doesn't have the ju- if his jump shot isn't reliable then a lot of the other stuff doesn't work nearly as well so your your mention of Emmanuel Moody, I think is well taken and I think that smith he has the talent I I everything that I thought about him as a draft prospect like I i still feel all of that really with him it's just that the the top 25 to 30 percent of outcomes for him just feels really faint and the other stuff is a lot less valuable so
0: well and he's also in a place where he just is not going right to like have a he, chance to he is right now. he
1: is an excellent by low second and i'll consider it a second draft guy because that's the theory of it even though he would technically be on his third team because the talent is there. He's in a completely unfavorable circumstance. And maybe that is is holding him back a little bit. And so, yeah, there and there are a bunch of teams that could use, incidentally, including the Orlando Magic, that could use another lottery ticket type guy just to see it. And and if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. And I don't think the asking price can be too high right now, just because why? And so I'll go through my next tier. It includes Markel Fultz. It's, Lonzo's in the tier above. And Dennis Smith is a tier below. But this group for me is definite NBA players, like definite NBA rotation players. And that's a really important threshold because then you can petzel them in for 15 to 20 minutes a game. And then they're all possible starters. So they're not, you know, they, they have that part of their game. Usually it's upside. And that group for me, Markan and Kuzma, the guys that you had in the higher tier and I moved down, they're my top two. Then Josh Hart, Luke Kennard, Zach Collins, a name we haven't really talked about much so far, Fultz. And then the one that was actually the hardest for me, but I think he has enough starter potential is thomas bryant thomas bryant is he to me this he gets hit by the center value bug more than somebody like bam or allen but it is entirely possible to me that he is starter quality on a team that has actual starting quality players
0: eventually i I think he's just too bad defensively
1: yeah he's young i i I give young guys who have some physical tools the benefit of doubt. he's a backup center to me yeah i think that's i think that's but but do you think that he's like a like do you feel confident that he's can be a 15 to 20 minute game guy like that's why i ended yeah, up putting him. yeah i mean team.
0: he's like one of these like offensive backup centers yeah now i mean he is shooting the ball more if maybe he just gets to be so good offensively that you can live with his defensive limitations but i mean he falls into this kind of replaceable center category i have him significantly below jared allen because i think allen can provide value on both ends and i just i don't have that confidence in brian and i don't think i mean he's not really much of a leaper his feet aren't great i mean he he, he plays hard he runs hard you know he gives effort but i i don't think he has great help instincts he's not a great shot blocker he doesn't have quick explosion the tools to me just aren't there defensively for him to get to be a, even an average defensive center
1: uh what about Hart Kennard and Collins three guys we haven't talked about very much yeah Kennard. It's been more
0: of an on-ball guy, maybe than some expected. It's certainly valuable at a position the two where there's not a lot of depth. But you know, he's he's kind of a get you into the first round of the playoffs, but maybe not beyond that type of player because his defensive limitations, total one-position defender, short arms. But I think he could be a quality offensive two-guard. To be sure, he probably is that already. Frankly, so you know, I, I think he's he's a starter. Yeah, you know, and when you get into this range now in the teens, if there's a, a guy who's a starter on an okay team you know that's that's what we're talking about here at this point um
1: oh something briefly i want to mention with kuzma yeah. when i was looking up his stats so far in his career kuzma has not broken 55 percent true shooting or 24 percent usage and he's certainly capable of doing both of those but it was it was notable to me that he hadn't yet
0: yeah and he has had so many odd iterations of his career of just with being on the lakers where they'd bring in vets and then those vets uh, would get traded or people around him would get injured and so he would be playing a supporting role at the start of the year and then all of a sudden he's the main option offensively at the end of the year so it's tough to get a read exactly uh, on what he's going to be on a good team so hopefully we'll we'll get a better sense of that in the coming months here Uh, so
1: oh so something I want to talk about with Zach Collins is we still I mean unfortunately due to his shoulder surgery we're not going to get to know as much of this soon but I think I'm more optimistic on Collins if he's closer to a straight center than the, the power forward stuff. I'm just, not a, I'm just not a big fan of how his game translates to that position. The floor spacing matters a little bit less. You know, he, if, if his jump shot's not rock solid, it becomes a bigger problem. And I think defensively, Collins has some of the tools that I really like. He sometimes has some nice reactions. He's an adept shot blocker. And I, might, I, I run into this problem sometimes with young bigs that I worry too much about their foul rate because for a lot of them that cleans up with time. So I think there's a chance that I'm underrating him by having him below like somebody, let's say like Josh Hart. But Josh Hart has positional versatility, and I yeah. know I know how he can fit in on a team with good players more easily than Collins. But I, I wanted to mention him because I think he has more upward mobility than maybe some think, just because he is a talented dude.
0: Yeah, I I had a. T- kind of down in the thomas bryant level but you know he's got some passing he's got some shooting potential that hasn't come around yet defensively he can have games where he makes a big impact other games where he falls out that happens to young bigs the lost development here for him with the shoulder surgery we don't know uh, as of this recording how long he's going to be out for yet but if this ends up being a totally lost year that's got to knock him down a peg a, a little bit so i mean i think he's a guy at center you know maybe he's a lower end starting center but just uh, again not the type of guy that you pay for not, Maybe he becomes a good enough shooter and defender that he's a two-way center, and he bumps into being, you know, a top twenty center. But I don't see that as the most likely outcome. Uh, so, so I had him a little bit low. Uh, Josh Hart, have we talked about him at all? He was right in there in the canard mix to me. You know, yeah, he was He was for 14. me too. I actually had
1: him above canard.
0: Yeah, okay. I, I totally understand that, yeah.
1: And yeah, Hart, I like that. I think he, you know, we saw this a little bit with the Lakers. They, in summer league last year, they gave him more of the reins offensively, and he did a decent enough job. And so maybe if he doesn't work as like a lower usage starter, he can fit in as a higher usage reserve or even some combination of those two things. But swingman-sized players who work hard on defense and can hit open shots are just insanely useful and doesn't really matter what else you have because you can't be a successful team without the other things that you need and so then players like Josh Hart can be incredibly valuable you know he's not doesn't have the the size of somebody like Iguodala but you can use that as an example of how this could work
0: yeah he is a little stronger than your average two guard he has some positional versatility his feet aren't that quick i don't know how much i like him defending point guards but offensively i think he's looked pretty good so far he's right back on track for where he was i think after his first year and he's now 24 so the upside isn't there but yeah i think he could be a quality starting two-way shooting guard for a long time and someone who has a little bit more versatility even if he doesn't have the ups, offensive upside of someone like Kennard, someone who can fit into a more of a championship team as a role guy we haven't talked about Dwayne Bacon at all I think he's made some big strides towards the end of last year and this year so far at least taking the three he is pretty rugged defensively I think he can be okay eventually I don't think he's Good, but he has some tools at least, can create some shots in the mid range. If he continues to shoot the three, maybe he gets into this mix uh, as well as someone that we'll look at as a, a starter, even though he's drafted in the second round.
1: Yeah, I have Bacon in the tier below for right now, but there are certainly some promising signs. And I think if we theoretically did this exercise again a year from now, he could end up being a big beneficiary just because he'll have the opportunity to prove it as a member of the Hornets. Yeah. And
0: uh, on the other hand, he's, he's shooting 23% from three, he's taking yeah. more, but uh, yeah. not. Hitting him so, and there's there's a lot of he could just be an inefficient chucker too. You know, I, I, yeah, I think enti- I entirely possible. Yeah,
1: yeah, but I, I think it, that's yeah. to me that's why he's a pretty good fit for my tier my tier five, which is likely rotation players. You know, like guys who you expect to be in a rotation, but there's something that's holding you back. Is I think the best the best way to put it. And. I actually wanted to talk to you about the first guy in this tier because I wanted to see if you felt that he, based on my criteria, should be the next in, in the one above it. Is Monte Morris because Morris last year established himself as an as a rotation player on an on an elite at least regular season team, and maybe it's just me being overly cautious that I, I should be thinking of him a little bit higher. But part of the reason why I, why I pulled him back was because I don't see him as a starter, you know. And and I've been wrong on yeah, this before. I don't either. So that's why I ended up with him here. But he is he is more than a likely rotation player but he is an already rotation player
0: yeah i mean doesn't shoot threes that well doesn't get to the foul line started off really hot last year and fell off so i think he's a backup point guard so i'm not gonna go crazy about that kind of a player uh yeah all right i think we can kind of wrap up this we're getting down into uh an area that's a little more difficult but let's just talk about some of the things that stood out in this process here biggest risers And Donovan Mitchell, obviously, going from 13 to 1 on both of our our boards now is, uh, is pretty good. Although, that in part is because some of the guys at the top disappointed so much.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, OG got drafted... 23rd and he's fifth on mine
0: yeah yeah i mean it's overall a disappointing class like there's no future superstar that i see i mean maybe odds are probably one will emerge that we don't see coming but
1: well and then because we haven't mentioned some of the other names i mean it's amazing the juxtaposition in the 20s so Terrence ferguson jared allen og tyler Lydon, basically out of the league Pachezniks, who's never been in the league, really, functionally speaking. Swanigan, who looks like he's on his way out of the league. Kuzma, Tony Bradley, who we don't like. Derek White and Josh Hart. So, like, it's just such a weird mix of guys. Like Derek White's in my top 10. Kuzma, I think, is in yours. And then, and, and then there are just all these guys that are straight up out of the league.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing we did pretty well on was... I'll give you the list of the guys that I hated going into the draft. Josh Jackson, relative to where they were expected to be picked and where they were picked. Josh Jackson, number four, got his rookie option declined, has already been traded in a salary dump. Justin Patton yeah he's been injured I mean that pick never made sense for where the Wolves were and the players they already had Carl Anthony Towns taking him at 16 made no sense at all and yeah he's had some injuries and never gotten his career off the ground but that one didn't make much sense uh TJ Leaf he's playing kind of because there's nobody else but hard to see him as a starting quality player potentially Tyler Lydon no thanks Pestashik's I didn't know much about, but uh, he he hasn't made an impact. Obviously, Swanigan, Tony Bradley. So I, I, and the big problem with most of those guys are just other than Josh Jackson, but but even Josh Jackson, just guys whose games did not fit. In the modern NBA. So uh, that we did pretty well. I mean, th- those are kind of the, the biggest fallers, I guess we could say. Um, you know, Neil Akina, Malik Monk, like th- those guys weren't guys that I hated. We did full lookups uh, on them, uh, but they obviously are disappointed compared to the guys around him who have all been reasonably productive so far.
1: Yeah. And then, of course, the, uh, the most probably the most notable fallers are the guys at the top Markel Fultz, Lonzo. Yeah. I mean, think about the, the top two guys in this class, both are outside of our top tens.
0: Yeah, and obviously injuries have affected both of those, both of them quite a bit also. Um, who would you say you still have the most uncertainty about? Who is the jury still out on that you're not willing to just write them off yet?
1: Fultz is an easy one. I I, I still see a lot there.
0: Yeah, I don't have that much uncertainty about him Duh. anymore. I mean, I, I think he's got a high, you know.
1: Yeah, 95th I guess that, I guess that's dollar. I guess that's different. Yeah, it's the, the true that the margin between his reasonable best case scenario and his expected value is actually not that different now because you and I are just lower on that ceiling. Um, yeah. Let's see. OG and Isaac's offense is going to be really, like, the, uh, yeah. that's that's a huge swing factor of both. And it, they have a, a calling card even without that, which is why they're so high on my lists. But I think that's just that's going to be the difference of whether they can be a good player or a great player. And I think that's a more important one. Lonzo is, is just a massive question mark. I mean, you c- I could see it going in a lot of different directions. Yeah, I don't
0: see him as that much of a question mark either. I, I think he just has a pretty hard ceiling on what his offense is and it's just okay if he shoots it well then he's a starting point guard if he doesn't shoot it well then he's like kind of you know backupy okay so then who are are you seeing john collins sure he he to me could be a scoring pick off the bench or he could be an all-star still and his defense had started coming around a little bit he's got some shot blocking ability his offense had been a little bit of a disappointment now and obviously he's in this 25 game suspension at the moment smith we talked about already Markinen would be another one you know he could just be a guy a stretch four, you know ryan anderson type of guy ultimately although he would need to actually make shots to be ryan anderson in theory and you know he's got more off the dribble juice than that but uh again he hit the is such a huge variable uh, for him mean, tatum as well right i mean he could just be uh, everyone's always going to get an obvious max extension next year like that could end up being terrible <laughs> like uh, or he, he could still i mean he still has the skill level he shoots the ball he's got size He's passable defensively, but are we going to be talking about him as, okay, you know, he can do some stuff with the ball at a valuable position, but he's not really an efficient creator. Are we talking about him as an offensive superstar? A lot of other people seem to see him that way. I'm getting a little bit lower there. White, how, how does his offense come along? He's shown some flashes. He's got a lot of athleticism. Shooting it a little better this year? Anyone else going to mind for you?
1: No, I think think that's about it. Well, I'm interested in what DJ Wilson ends up becoming, but we're just going to – I think that's just going to take time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's – there's still – I mean, when he's played, he's been okay, Mm -hmm. but –
1: Oh, and, and, there, and Dennis, and we should mention Dennis Smith. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I did. Uh, oh, okay, I might missed it miss again,
0: that. just briefly. I mean, I think we talked about enough. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's why earlier. I didn't want to emphasize it. Um, yeah, Wilson is one that pops out to me as a, someone who still has some potential. Uh, maybe you know, I'm not totally writing off Leaf and Bradley yet because their teams at least seem to believe for them, so that that can mean something. Uh, and we're gonna find out about Tony Bradley uh, with Ed Davis out for the next month or so. Dylan Brooks, we haven't really mentioned. If he, I've been impressed with his. Defensive effort this year. I think he's going to need to just become embrace being a role player a little bit more. Where he's you know a tertiary guy, he he really wants to take a lot of shots in the mid range. He just doesn't have the athleticism to create the separation. He can't get to the rim and finish. But I like his defensive effort. He's got size, and if he can shoot the ball, I think he he could be a starting quality player. I'm not ready to totally give up on Jordan Bell, Semi Ojele, a few of these guys who are kind of second round types frank jackson has shown some signs remember he had that whole miss rookie year i mean he, he competes defensively he can shoot it. he's got athleticism edmund sumner is another one it's kind of a, a bummer that he's out now he was going to get a nice chance to, to contribute on the wing damian dotson is, has been out i still like the way that he competes maybe if he can shoot the ball he can at least be in a, in a rotation sterling brown somewhat similar semi ogile i still think there's a a place for him somewhere due to his defensive versatility any reaction to any of those guys
1: no i'm just pretty much in the same mold i don't i don't need to spend more time saying that i agree with you
0: <laughs> <laughs> um so who are our biggest disagreements here it seems like i'm higher on mitchell
1: yeah i mean i have a number one but you have been a different tier that's an important yeah. distinction um you're higher on Markinen and kuzma than i am i'm higher on lonzo than yeah you god are. i
0: don't like i don't like being higher on them <laughs> the, I, I, that might be a, a distinction with a minimal difference i i'm not i, I don't want to like my lot with those guys. I, I'm summer.
1: higher on Thomas Bryant, it sounds like. Um, yeah.
0: Isaac, you seem lower on than me. I mean. You, you had OG higher than Isaac, which I, yeah. I do not.
1: Yeah. I, had, I mean, I had Isaac sixth, and I think you probably have him fifth. Or do you have him fourth?
0: I have him. Yeah, God, I might even have him third. I, I might even have wow. him
1: Wow.
0: Which I, I, again, I'm I'm not. I'm just a, not wowed I, by any. I of mean, those
1: a, guys year, guys. a year from now, that could very well be true. It, it also is unfortunate that we're. I mean, Isaac just with the nature of what the magic did, that we're probably not going to get the opportunity to see him like really as the you know that kind of defensive thing that. That Hollinger was talking about on your pod that you know, I, I, I don't know about that. What, what do you mean? Well, the idea of him being a defensive five and oh, five yeah, yeah, because I think that also makes his offensive game work so much better is if he doesn't have to do yep. all the other stuff,
0: yeah, that's true. As long as they, as long as they have Vucevic, and he can't play five full times, but you could see him at the end of games. I mean, he, he does look a lot bigger and a lot stronger this year. I mean, it, you always get fooled by his hair a little bit, but I, I mean, he just looks like massive out there, and he does have close to center size standing reach. Um, who is is the, your worst. Pre-draft take. I mean, not only who you were most wrong about, but who you were just like, "What the fuck was I thinking?"
1: Yeah. See, I have faults in a different category. um yeah. I would say for me, the biggest mistake was I wasn't concerned enough about Wonzo shooting. I was so yeah. I was so into the things that he did well that I forgot or didn't care sufficiently about how fundamental to a primary ball handler shooting is. You know, such a crazy thing well, to uh, just.
0: Or miss. how about like pick and roll play or finishing at the rim or getting to the foul line or making a free throw like yeah. those are all things that we could have known beforehand yeah and w- I, he's he's my pick too that where yeah. i have just like God damn it! why didn't i listen to myself you know i I, sort of like went with the consensus i
1: also should have been harsher because you know there there every once in a while there are guys that you you are well outside of the norm and understand that but you move a little bit closer like one standard deviation in just because you don't want to be that far out on a ledge and that's how it was with josh jackson like i was super duper low on josh jackson oh yeah
0: i I was so glad that i stuck to my. and
1: i i should have been further out i mean because there have been times when i've been out on a guy and then they ended up being a lot better than that and i felt stupid and so so I hedged a little bit with him. I wish I hadn't. Also, I made some more mistakes with Frank. I mean, I think that eventually parts of it will figure out. But the idea, I mean, was but this... I didn't
0: think his shooting would be this bad.
1: Right, exactly. Like, my the mistake I made with him was similar to the one with Exum, which is like, oh, even if parts of the offensive game don't come around, he can be a lower usage, like, second guard. And that's true, but that's just a very different type of player, and it was non- n- apparently less certain that his jump shot was actually going to fall.
0: And that could still happen. It's not... Uh
1: oh yeah He's i mean it is amazing now. how many second draft possibilities the knicks have just because all these guys are in yeah. such a screwed up circumstance it could be like guys just front offices trying to get guys out of sacramento for a few years and some of those other ones where it's just and because their front office just doesn't seem like they're doing a good job maybe you can get get those guys for very little and make something work
0: yeah my biggest misses in raw terms were smith and faults and certainly smith some of the Issues that he had at North Carolina State where the background stuff wasn't amazing. I mean, he had that conflict with the Dallas front office last year. It couldn't really seem to fit in with Luka when someone got drafted over him, even though they weren't the same position. But Luka was obviously going to get more of the reps there, and it didn't seem like he could handle that very well. I mean, he still, to me, has really good tools and Maybe I fell in love with that a little bit too much, but I, I at least, I can defend what I was thinking at the time there. It just didn't work out. It was kind of an upside play. I value that a lot. It pretty clearly is not going to work out to the level that I thought that it could. fault. I mean, again, there's just who the hell could have predicted that. But yeah, I mean, ball is the one. Like I got kind of, I was going to have him a little bit lower. And then, you know, I saw the statistical translation seemed to really like him too. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to go in on this. And I did have a number two on my board and I. What? So, uh, severely regret that.
1: It, it was also, though, for me, part of the reason I had ball up that high, and I remember, I believe I said this on the pod, was I just didn't like anybody else in this class that much. And in certain cases, that was wrong. You know, like I should, I, I'd see the theory of De'Aaron Fox was certainly there, you know, like yeah. some of those type of guys. But Lonzo, it was definitely uncertain, but I just, I was a little bit queasy on T- Tatum, a little bit queasy on some other guys. One other thing I want to mention we did not do a film breakdown of, at least that I recall, but I don't think we did one period of Donovan Mitchell. No. No, and didn't. I I will feel for the rest of my life, and it would be fun to go back through his film, that I think we would have seen it and we would have been banging the drum for him. Like, just, I,
0: I don't think that I would have seen it. Interesting. Um, and, and, I mean, because even after Summer League, I was like, alright, let's slow down a little bit. This guy's more 3 and D. It, it, let's not go crazy here. I mean, obviously, I give Schmidt a lot of credit. He was right on it. And, you know, he had some access to what he was doing in workouts and mm-hmm. stuff too. But, I mean, like, he was not this player at Louisville. Like, some of the finishing that he had around the rim, some of the passing like I think most people would acknowledge that was not there on film at Louisville and he just made a massive jump before his rookie year in terms of, of his ability or maybe it just wasn't on display but I I fear that I would have not seen it uh and you know it, I mean I watched like you know his draft express video and I wasn't like oh my god this guy is ridiculous you know I mean I was like all right I think he's gonna be you know he makes sense he can shoot the ball he can defend you know he's gonna be a quality player but I was more interested in, in that aspect so I was not I, I don't think I would have seen it very few did or he wouldn't have gone 13th but uh not not to impugn your scouting but i i've thought about that a lot and i was like and eh, maybe it's better i didn't watch him because i just i i probably would have been where everyone that, else was
1: that scouting. would be a fun like patreon or something like that of just like trying trying in the abstract to do a scout on him and just like going through the old film
0: yeah that's that's so hard I mean, you're playing with your own preconceived notions in like two different weird ways.
1: It'd be fun. I might, I might end up doing that on my own. If you don't want to do it next off season, not now we're too busy.
0: All right. Well, thanks again for tuning in. Want to, Remind you that we are supported today by the March Madness 365 podcast. College basketball is back. All roads lead to the Final Four. In Atlanta, in March, join NCA.com correspondent Andy Katz each week for the March Madness 365 podcast, where he'll speak with some of the biggest coaching and player names in college basketball. Andy's got top stories, exclusive interviews, and bracket picks come tournament time. Listen and subscribe to March Madness 365 wherever you get your podcasts.